It is impossible to live a successful and empowered life without the help of others. And most people don't have a life team in place to support them. And that leaves them feeling overwhelmed and underpowered. By following the simple steps we'll talk about today, you can create a life team for yourself that will empower you in every area of your life. You can put in place a support network that will be there to provide you with the resources you need to achieve your purpose in life. Now I'm gonna be outlining some very specific steps today, and if you want access to that outline and the key points from today's show, just drop the words, remind me, in the comments section. So hi, my name is Will Sampson. I'm a social scientist who helps guide executives and companies to new levels of growth. If you want to improve your life all by yourself, that's your business. But if you want help from others, well, that's our business. And that's what this podcast is all about, helping others succeed. We do that by inviting people into a growing revolution of interdependence. What is interdependence? We use that word a lot. It's, it's in the title of the podcast. So we need to define it. Interdependence is not just a word we need to bring back into vogue. It's a core belief, a core behavior that is sorely needed in this world. Interdependence has become my operating system. It literally helped me reboot my life over the last several years. See, sometime back, I found myself in a dark place. I was in a corner. I didn't know how to get out of it. What I had to learn was how to create a support system around me. And I call this support system a life team. It's comprised of the people in my life who are there to do for me those things that I cannot do for myself. Now, just that very concept, the idea that there are things we cannot do for ourselves, it seems anathema to our culture that's dominated by the idea that we should pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Even the idea of interdependence, so creating a network of reliance on each other. Even that idea today, it's often interpreted as what Abraham Maslow called self-transcendence. In, in Maslow's view, self-transcendence, it was this idea that once we are fully actualized, we can then give to others and we can find ourselves actualized in the group. We'll talk more about the need to actually redefine or maybe re-remember Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Because I think it's true that we should always have as a goal self-transcendence and giving back to the world. But what's often lost in that story is the idea that for so many, and I would certainly, I certainly would count myself in, the, in this category at some point in my life, the idea of self-transcendence and giving back, it just seemed out of reach. It seemed impossible, implausible, even absurd to think about giving to others what I could not give to myself. And so this podcast, and specifically this episode today, are really focused on one core question, which is this. How do we change our operating system so that we can accept the help and opportunities that are available to us wherever we find ourselves on the hierarchy of needs? This was the problem for me. I'm, I, I just didn't know how to get the help I needed. It wasn't that the help didn't exist. <laughs> See, the perpetual myth of the self-help industrial complex is that the help is there and you can access it anytime you want. Now, that's a myth because it's half right. 
There's help there for all of us anytime we need it. But knowing how to access it, at least for me, was simply something I didn't have the capacity to do. So what I really needed was a life team. Okay, so what do I mean by a life team? When I talk about a life team, what I mean is a group of people that are committed to your success. And you'll hear me say this multiple times throughout the podcast that that life team needs to be a reciprocal relationship. It's a group of people that are committed to your success because you are also committed to their thriving. And this is how this idea of a life team works. And here's the reality of our present world. We've moved away from supportive structures, whether they were there or not. Um, And I don't want to be overly romantic and suggest that, you know, like agrarian life was some sort of beautiful ecosystem of support. Life has always been brutish, nasty, and short, to quote Shakespeare. But but I, I contrast interdependence and the need for a life team with the dominant cultural idea of self-help because we need to find ways to do more than simply help ourselves. Now, some of that is psychological and philosophical. So we, we always think about, when we're talking about help, we think about Maslow's, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We think about it because we learned, we all learned about it in high school psychology class. And at the top of that hierarchy was self-actualization. Now, it's true that Maslow himself later came back and revisited that model. He said that above self-actualization was self-transcendence. So we might think of that as um, maybe group actualization. So it seems true that the from the research, so again, going back to the psychology and the philosophy of it, that healthy mental states are those in which we recognize we live interdependently with others. But it also seems true that there's a whole segment of the population to whom self-help is simply not available. I've learned in my research to be far more appreciative of some of the self-help gurus and some of the work they do. I've seen, just I've witnessed powerful stories of true transformation Um, because I've looked at what happens in many of the self-help, the larger self-help seminars. But it's also true that transformation came at the price of, uh, you know, $5,000 for a three-day seminar or, you know, $9.99 for an all-day Saturday seminar or $17.50 for an eight-week course. And we can't move forward as a culture when certain levels of growth are only available to those with higher levels of social and financial capital. So the whole idea of life teams and interdependence is really to say or or to ask the question, what is there for those who can't afford a three-day seminar at a swanky hotel? What's available? If you find yourself with a deep desire to improve your life and to improve the life of everyone around you, but you don't have the resources, or perhaps you're someone like me who is a self-help dropout. You know, I tried some of the methodologies and they were successful somewhat, but for me, the secret sauce has always been realizing the need for full interdependence and reliance on others. 
And the way in which I rely on other people is a concept that I call life teams. It's my life team. And so that's what we're talking about today. So how do you create a life team? Well, I want to suggest that there are five steps to creating your, your life team. And I want to be careful because even that idea that there are five steps to something, it sounds awfully like self-help. And I've mentioned this in other, other episodes of the podcast. I've mentioned this in other episodes of the podcast, but it's a paradox because on the one hand, you'll never grow without owning your own life and the processes around it. But it's also been my experience that I was able to do more when I had others who helped me in that process. And that's, there's others who helped me in the process, that's what I call my life team. So how do you create a life team? Well, I found that there are really five basic steps to creating a life team. So step number one is finding the people who can be on that team. And how do you do that? Well, it starts really by knowing yourself and knowing yourself well. What Life Team, for me, has been able to do is kind of fill in the blanks, but I've been able to use them to do that because I know what blanks are true in my life. And I know those blanks because I've gone through a deep process of self-discovery. And so while I advocate the idea of a Life Team to do what you can't do for yourself, the very first part of that journey is knowing yourself well. And there are plenty of self-discovery tools that are used in the process. I've been a big beneficiary of things like Strength Finder and the Enneagram. But the most important tool really for me was journaling. We tend to learn what we record. I have a real bias, I'll admit, toward journaling with pen and paper. Some people find it better to journal on on the computer or on their smart device. Um, but keeping track at the end of every day and summarizing at the end of every week all the wins and the losses in my life, looking at where, I, where did I succeed, where did I fall down, that really allowed me to discover who I was. It allowed me to recognize where I brought value to the world. And it also allowed me to see where I needed others to help bring out that unique value proposition. So. Know yourself, and then know your purpose. Know why you're here. This, this whole notion of, of your why, it's maybe gotten a little bit overworked, but I still think it's pretty critical. Why are you here on this planet? Who are you uniquely, and what are you here uniquely to do? Because those are the initial building blocks to creating a life team knowing what you're here to do and knowing what you can do to accomplish that purpose, it's going to take you to the next part of the journey. And that, that third step on the journey is identifying your gaps. You know, I had a life coach a number of years ago who, um, he broke strengths and weaknesses into three areas. He called them red, green, and yellow lights. So green lights, those are those areas where when I do them, I feel an incredible amount of strength and energy. You know, when I used to teach in the college classroom, I would come out of the class and I was almost high from teaching. That's, so that's a definite green light area for me. Uh, you'll hear me, if you listen to me talk, you'll hear me joke a lot about accountants. And I have some family members who are absolutely brilliant accountants. 
it is not an area that gives me energy. It's, it's an area that draws strength away from me. And so that's a red light area for me. And in between those are the areas that are yellow lights, those things that I can do, but maybe I don't get the most energy from. So identify the gaps. Know yourself, know your purpose, and then begin to identify the gaps. Um, and especially it relates, as it relates to your purpose in life. What are you supposed to do and what is keeping you from doing that? What do you lack so you can meet your purpose here on this planet? Now, what you lack may not just be technical. You know, I rec recently added somebody to my life team because they are a particularly candid person. They are, frankly, willing to call me on my bullshit. <laughs> so don't just look for people who do things. You know, I lack accounting skills, and so part of my life team quest is to find individuals one way or another who can help me with some administrative tasks. But I also look for people who can provide other kinds of skills. These are things like candor and honesty and values. Uh, your life team should be comprised of people who share your values. So know yourself, know your purpose, know your gaps. And then the next step in that journey is to actually begin to find people who can be on your life team. And, you know, I've been doing this for a couple of years now and looking at the research of how we build interdependency, I'm going to let you know that there's very few things that are 100%, but this, what I'm about to say is 100%. There is simply no way you will find people who can be on your life team without being of service to others. You know, I mentioned Maslow a few minutes ago. And even from the perspective of Maslow, you know, we think of self-transcendence, so this thing that exists above self-actualization, we think of it as a kind of place we might get to once we've had all of our own needs met. But the reality is that interdependence is a value that transcends, and I should say interacts, with every level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs from really the most basic level of survival needs all the way up through self-actualization. We need others. And the way we find others to guide us, to help us in our life quest is by serving other people. I simply have not found another way to bring people into your life teams. So for me, some of this was obvious. I had some built-in service places like my recovery program, my parish. But there are plenty of other ways to serve people. There's social groups, there's community groups. But thinking about your purpose and what really lights you up may be a way to understand how you can serve others in the world. So let's say you're deeply committed to the environment. Can you find an environmental cleanup club or a community gardening initiative, for example? So serve. And then the last part of finding people to be on your life team is to just ask them. <laughs> This is, crazily enough, the hardest part. You know, we're so afraid. Uh, we're so afraid to be vulnerable to ask people for their help. But here's the reality. Unless you have a very high level of social capital and you can be coached by one of the world's best gurus, and frankly, even then, I would guess you would probably need a, night, a life team. But unless... Unless you find yourself with a super high level of social capital, you're going to need others to help you succeed. And the way you find other people is by asking, by being vulnerable, by showing up 
authentically and saying, hey, you know what? This is an area that I'm not that great at. And you seem to be really good at it. I'd love your help. And then the next thing out of your mouth needs to be, and how can I serve you? And that's as simple as the transaction needs to be in terms of adding people to your life team. So step one, finding people to be on your life team. And step two is determining what role each person on your life team is going to play. And what are those roles? Well, in my experience, I've observed at least six different types of roles. You know, one of the problems with this whole idea of interdependence and life teams is that there's just not a particularly solid body of research and evidence around this question about how we help each other succeed. Now, there's a good deal of research in the organizational psychology context. The problem is that so much of that research assumes some kind of profit or marketplace motive or a career motive. So some of what I'm offering here is still very much grounded theory. I'm relying on my experience and the experiences of the people I've interviewed. But that in that experience, I've noticed that there are six roles that people can play on a life team. The first role is that of teacher. So the teacher is the person who you know you can go to when you have a question about something. They seem to be that person who always has the answers for how to solve problems. I have one particularly great teacher. They're not actually a teacher by profession, but they're a teacher in my life teams, in my life team, and I have turned to them many times. It was particularly true over the last six months as I was starting a new business and having to deal with some legal financial questions in terms of business startup. And this person, for me and my network, was my teacher. They were a great go-to for that. The other role that I've observed that I've relied on my own team is what I call the completer. This is someone who is really capable of filling in a key blank for you. So I joke all the time about my lack of administrative skills. It's not that I couldn't learn how to do those things. I just wasn't interested, frankly. I didn't want to. But what that means is that I sometimes get backed into an administrative corner. But here's the good news. I have a completer in my network. I have that person that I go to whenever I need help getting something finished or maybe even just thinking about how strategizing on how to get that thing finished. So teachers, completers. The third role in my network, and this is something that I've observed in other people's network, is the coach or the guide. It's sort of that wise person. I don't like to use the words. I don't like to use the word mentor because mentor implies something different than what I'm suggesting here. But the coach or the guide, it's that person who can they can meet you along the path wherever you are and ask the right questions. Here's how you know you've got a good coach in your, on your life team. When you bring a problem to them, they start with questions. <laughs> the great coaches and guides in my life are not people anxious to offer their own thoughts or advice. These are people anxious to guide me th down my path through well-asked questions. Now, a fourth role that I have found value in my life team is what I call the sounding board. And I distinguish this from the coach. The sounding board, or at least the person in my life team who is a sounding board, is someone who's very strategic. 
this is uh, there's somebody they're not a this my sounding board is not a therapist but if they were they would be a good CBT therapist they're really great at running an idea by and helping to think through what that's going to mean in terms of next steps not trying to dig up past issues or what thing in my past might have brought that particular idea to mind but just offering a really unflinching critique. And, you know, thinking out loud with sometimes difficult questions is is the role that that sounding board plays for me. Now, a fifth role is what I lovingly call my ass kickers. (laughs) And I've got a couple of them in my life team, one in particular. And I don't talk to him that much, these days, thank God, but he's there to kick my butt when I need it. He's the, my go-to. And so when I'm in a funk and when I get stuck, when I'm not sure, when I'm not sure if I have what I need, I go to that person. Usually I have to buy them lunch or coffee and they're going to kick me in the ass and get me moving. But that also brings me to my sixth role, which is you also need a comforter on your life team. And ironically, the, my butt kicker and my comforter are actually very dear friends. And so when I find myself in a place where I've maybe gotten kicked a little too hard or I just need somebody who can offer solace, I know I can reach out to that person who plays that role of comforter on my life team. So those are the roles I've observed. But like I said, this is grounded theoretical work. This is very early. There's not a ton of research around this. So determining what role a person plays in your, in your life team will have a lot to do with that first really important set of work you did in understanding yourself and knowing where your gaps are, knowing where you need help, where you need guidance, and finding people who can bring that to you. So step one, find the right people to be on your team. Step two, determine what role each person on your team will play. Then step three is Create a strong foundation for your life team. Now, creating a strong foundation would obviously be important for virtually any endeavor. But it's especially important when you're creating your life team because this is just not work we do normally. The level of vulnerability and self-honesty and authenticity that's going to be required to even ask people to be on your life team It's just not something we practice in our culture. What we tend to practice is hyper-independence and the belief that we have everything we need to succeed within ourselves. So in order to create a, a life team by definition, you're admitting that you don't meet the qualifications of the grand cultural narrative, that narrative of being able to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. So creating a foundation for a life team, a strong foundation, is critical. And here's what I can tell you has proven to work for me and the others I've seen who've begun this process. Um, And it's really three basic principles. The first thing to do in building a strong foundation for your life team is to start small. This, I can't emphasize this heavily enough, what I'm suggesting here is not normal work. In so many ways, what you're going to be doing is training yourself to behave in ways that are different from the culture scape. You're going to be training yourself to 
diverge from the normal operating system of modern culture. And that's increasingly true. That operating system is increasingly true, not just in America and the West, but across the globe. Increasingly, we live in a culture where interdependence and sharing the burden of creating life together is the extreme exception, not the norm. So as you're building a foundation for this life team, start small and give it time to nurture and grow. Now, this was incredibly frustrating for me because I rebooted my life over in, the middle, in my middle 50s. So I had this extreme case of what I call late startism. In other words, I was just convinced that I was too late. I was too late to really accomplish a successful life relaunch. And I did not want to start small. I wanted to fix everything like right away. But because what I'm advocating here is of creating a life team is so countercultural, the only way to succeed is to allow the process to take its time and to allow trust to be built into the relationship because trust and reliability are the joints and the sinews of a successful life team. So start small. But now having said that, secondly, dream big. <laughs> I'm not sure which self-help guru said it. I think I've heard it from a few different ones, but it's true that we overestimate what we can do in a month and we underestimate what we can do in five years. I believe in the life-changing value of interdependence and in the creation of life teams. I believe this is the way we crawl out of the depths of just the cultural mess we find ourselves in. So dream big, because it's not only true that you can accomplish things much bigger than we give ourselves permission to dream of, but it's also true that a big dream is attractive to others. And it helps bring other people onto your life team. It helps you find other people whose life team you can be on. Because together, you're dreaming big about shaping a world that's more whole, more just, more, more repaired. So dream big. And then the third idea uh, or principle for creating a strong foundation for your, for your life team is to build disciplines and create regular check-ins. I just started meeting weekly with a new life team and we're meeting for an hour once a week. Maybe that's not even enough time. We'll see. But here's the thing. As humans, we tend to evaluate what we are habituated towards. I don't know if you know the habits author Charles Duhigg, but Duhigg suggests that the killer productivity app is thinking deeply. And I would riff off of that and say that the killer interdependence app is creating space to think deeply about each other's needs, about your needs, about the needs of the world, and figuring out, thinking deeply about how to provide for those needs. And that is what the ultimate interdependence app is about, is thinking deeply about each other's needs. And if I'm right about it, then interdependence is, can be the antidote to this shitty self-help culture that we find ourselves trapped in. So the way we get to interdependence, the way to build strong life teams is by building a regular discipline of checking in. And that can look like many different things. So I mentioned I have a current life team that meets on, for an hour a week on Zoom. There's many different ways you can do it. You can meet in person. 
But here's the idea. Build something that is regular. Build something that becomes embedded into your, into your daily, weekly, monthly, yearly practices. Make it integral to your life like breathing and eating. So step four is cultivating an empowering relationship with your team. So this fourth step is to cultivate an empowering relationship with your team. And I found some very specific ways to do that. The first and really probably most important is the expression of ongoing gratitude. And this is true for two reasons. First, look, you should be genuinely grateful for anyone who is willing to be a part of your life team. What I'm proposing here is countercultural and it's different than the way the world currently operates. So someone who's willing to be part of your team, and I realize that also means you'll be part of their team as well, you should be grateful for that person. But here's what's also true. And this is where learning about the way dopamine works in the brain, because we've known that gratitude enhances dopamine. But what's interesting is we're learning quite recently that gratitude increases dopamine more so when we receive it than when we give it. So we get a certain amount of dopamine for someone expressing gratitude towards us, but when we express gratitude towards others, it's even greater. So if you want the best contribution from the people on your life team, thank them. Help them increase their level of dopamine in their own brain, and that's going to make them more successful and better resources for you. Now, the, so express gratitude. The second thing I found is being willing to listen. It's certainly been my experience that as you create these life teams, there are people that are interested in providing their opinions. <laughs> and this is true sometimes of even of people that you have formally made a part of your life team. And they may be offering opinions that you weren't ready to hear or you don't think you need to hear at that point in time. But the greatest disservice you can do to yourself is to refuse to listen to that advice and wisdom given. We just simply can't know when the universe is going to provide wisdom to us in ways that we didn't expect. And if we're not listening, we won't hear it. Now, the third thing, and this is an ironic element to building an empowering relationship with your team, is that you need to be really honest with your team. And, and I've seen this in practice where people feel like they want help from others and they get into a place where they can ask for that help. And then they're not fully honest about their needs. They share maybe part of their needs, but not all of their needs. Or they share part of their story, but not all of their story. Interdependence in building a life team is a grueling personal journey. And it takes grueling personal assessment. If you're not able to, able and willing, frankly, to be completely honest with the people on your life teams, then don't try to build one. Don't try to build a life team. Now, the fourth thing is you need to show genuine interest in the people on your life teams. 
in part because you're on theirs as well. And so you want to be able to really demonstrate interest in them and show for them what this life team concepts look like. But it's also true, and this is, it sort of tees up our fifth element of empowering relationships, that a life team is by definition a reciprocation. It's a reciprocal relationship. And if you don't show genuine interest, if you aren't willing to reciprocate service to others, especially the people on your life team, then it's a failed project from the start. Our fifth and final step is to then use that life team to achieve success in every area of your life. I heard Seth Godin speak a while back on the problem with Nike's slogan, just do it, as if that was all there was to it. And he said that we should replace it with the idea of merely do it or simply do it. The, the way to make a life team work is to simply do it, simply use those resources in every area of your life. Don't let this idea collect dust. Ask yourself today, what specific steps can I take in beginning to create a life team for myself and, and for the world? Because the way a life team can shape you and your purpose can also have a positive impact on the world. So that's a wrap for today. Please hit the subscribe button below to be notified of the latest episodes and follow me on social. You can find me at Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at the Will Sampson. Thanks everyone, and I will see you next time on the Revolution of Interdependence podcast.